Welcome to the Cup of Nurses podcast. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast with your hosts, Matt Sartrick and myself, Peter Fendura. This is a podcast where we tackle current health news and hot nursing topics, one conversation at a time. So today, guys, we're going to talk about cyclocybin, so why, why they're going to be used instead of antidepressants maybe in the next five years, according to research, and why they might be a better choice of drug compared to taking like Zoloft or any antidepressants. Also, we're going to talk about, is your job making you fat? Which is a question that a lot of people wanted to know, and we're here to answer it. Yeah, a lot of obesity going on in this world. Don't be the cause of it. Definitely. Thank you guys for listening. Whoever subscribes, everybody that likes our Facebook page, Instagram, that um, socializes with us, check out the Facebook group that we have, and we hope to see you there. So let's begin. Yeah, so we'll start with psychocybins. So the amount of antidepressants given to to patients with depression has risen 65% since 20, or between 1999 and 2014. Yeah. That's almost like double. And this is a government survey. So why are we being depressed and why are people taking these pills and why are we still seeing an increase in suicide in adults and teenagers? What's, what's the cause? What's going on? Should we be using a different intervention for depression? Uh, possibly. I mean, as modern medicine moves on, we start to explore different kinds of medications, different kinds of herbs, plants, and these plants have been used, or well, I guess, magic mushrooms, psilocybin have been, I guess, the fungus. And that's been used in the past to treat depression. A lot of psychologists and psychoanalysts have used, like, LSD as well as psychocybins just to treat patients, patients with depression and anxiety and just to get them through, like, their PTSD. A lot of, um, like, Marines or a lot of people that are in the Army that go through PTSD, they benefit greatly from marijuana and um now that what's coming out is that psychocybins may also assist them with, the, with their issues in depression. Yeah, so what people are saying is that when they're taking antidepressants on a long term, they feel blunted. They feel like they're withdrawn. And that shouldn't be the case because life is, you know, so beautiful. So people are choosing a different therapy, which um, this psychedelic research center is saying. And there's an opposite effect when you're taking a psychedelic therapy. Um, they talk about an emotional release and a reconnection with yourself, which is interesting because it does the exact opposite of what antidepressants do. Yeah, a lot of times these antidepressants, we don't really know how they work, but they do work. But then they also come with all these side effects. You know, like if you're on antidepressant, you're also at risk of suicide, which is kind of weird. You know, like you're depressed, you want to take that suicide effect away from you, but it increases suicide at the same time. So... People are looking at different alternatives. Like if we can't create something synthetically, maybe more natural route is, is key in this situation. Maybe that'll produce less side effects and might be more beneficial than our man-made uh, medications. Do you think it'd be a better alternative? I mean, I, it might be. Um, I know there's, they're doing some research. Like there's one research study that I looked at, took 19 depressed patients and they microdosed them with uh, psilocybin. I think it was 10 milligrams and 25 milligrams. I'm not sure over what period of time. But after they microdosed them over a certain period of time, they had um, less depressive symptoms one week out. Now, all 19 of those patients had less depression symptoms in science. And then in five weeks out, about 48% of those individuals also had less depression symptoms. 
So that does show some benefit if it yeah. could affect 50%. It is a small study because it's only 19 participants, but you know, there are people, you got to make sure that these small studies work before you take it into a, a bigger study. Because yeah. obviously if it would fail with 19 people, it would be less drastic than if failing with 100 people. Yeah, and uh, they approved ketamine for PTSD trials as well. And ketamine is a synthetic drug, and it's being it's being approved for PTSD and, and anti uh, major depressive disorders. So I'm just wondering what this natural herb could be, you know, could put to the to the plate. Because in 2014, uh, according to the CDC, um, the Center of Disease Control and Prevention, one in eight Americans are taking an antidepressant. Like. There's something going on, guys, and we're not really connecting the dots, and we're not taking our own health into our hands. We're just letting doctors decide, and you know, just like we know as nurses, they get overwhelmed. They don't have time to do their own research, and we're stuck with this phase of uh, things that haven't been working, but we're still pushing on, and we're still using it because we haven't ventured out or haven't explored other interventions, you know? Yeah, we're all centered on hey we got to create something to fix this issue but the solution might already be out there like there's so much unexplored land and so much um, untested herbs and certain medication that cultures have been using for years and years that we're kind of borderline iffy on using but maybe those prove some benefit like these things have been used for hundreds sometimes even thousands of years and they've helped these tribes deal with depression yeah even um like marijuana now it's being approved for chronic pain and all these other things and geez you see opioid withdrawals it's freaking terrible man you have you have mothers that took them can't get them because the prescription is out and they'll end up doing heroin on the streets and there's no withdrawals to marijuana so they're choosing this therapy for chronic pain which is interesting yeah i know they're also trying to push psilocybin for uh patients with with cancer uh, another study that I looked at took 29 patients that were receiving, or they received um, psilocybin, a small dose, I'm not sure what the exact um, milligrams or grams they received, but they had basically um, untreatable cancer. So they had severe depression and anxiety, just knowing the fact that there's no cure for them and they're going to die at some point or another. And they live with that thought every day. And 80% of those patients, so 80% of 29 patients were having um, less anxiety and less depression symptoms while on psilocybin oh. microdosing. And that's, that's, that's pretty crazy. Like, they're going to die. There's nothing we can do for them. So maybe this is... And not give them the best trip before their life. I mean, yeah. I mean, might as well, you know. They, they well. Get, I don't want to be a dick, but like, they, they have nothing really more to live for because their time is coming to an end. So if you could, if you could find a way to have them ease into it, then, you know, just let them have at it. And, you know, just like they say, you reconnect and you have this emotional release... Maybe they're going to find peace with themselves. You know, if they're struggling, if they have regret, integrity is poor. Like maybe they're, they're going to be able to reconnect with their own selves because it kind of kills off the ego in a way, right? And then you're just into your subconscious. So it's, it could be interesting. And the last thing here um, about these antidepressants. In 2016, the Journal of Patient Preference and Adherence published a paper about like a long-term study of antidepressants. And these are some of the major side effects that were listed. 72% of these people listed sexual problems. 65% said they have inability to reach an orgasm. 65% said weight gain. 65% said feeling emotionally numb. And 54% said not feeling like themselves. Would you want to live like that? I would definitely not. I would not. You get rid of one symptom of depression, but then you also get these other side effects. 
that are gonna make you feel shitty too. Like it's a, if you get those side effects and you're on a medication, you're treating your depression, but then you're probably feeling low and feeling down once again because of side effects. Yeah. So See, it's not really a solution. It, it's not. There are there, we have to explore different options. But I, I, I'm not against antidepressants. There's people that need them. For example, people that have like traumatic brain injuries and they have like um, dopamine, serotonin dysfunction and they're using a long-term antidepressant to help rebuild like the synapses, whatever, for the serotonin release. So that I do approve of. But anything else, if you're taking it for depression, we have to figure out the root cause of your depression, just like the root cause of your anxiety. You can't take a pill and think it'll fix it just like everybody, you know, that we see sometimes in healthcare. Yeah, 100% agree. These medications work for some. So let's say this, these antidepressants work for 60% of depressed patients. What do we do with the other 40? Do we just say, hey, um, you know, we're not going to try anything else. This isn't working for you. These drugs are illegal. We're not going to give them to you. So you kind of just either you're going to have to deal with your depression or you're going to have to deal with the side effects. Or even if it's like 10%, like we can't just let people just high and dry, you know, like yeah. it sucks. Like they're depressed. Someone's going on with their brain chemistry. We can't get them out of that, that like gloom or those neurotransmitters aren't, neurotransmitters aren't doing the job they're supposed to. We got to do something about it. Yeah. You know? We have to find out. Mm-hmm. Beautiful time to be alive to see where all yeah. these tests are going. You know what we got to do something about? Obesity in the workplace. Obesity in the workplace. Why is your job making you fat, guys? Mm-hmm. And I'm guilty. I'm not, I don't know, I'm not guilty, but we as nurses, we definitely see overweight nurses. Yeah, and all the time. All the time. And you would think we would know better. Especially if you're taking care of all these sick people and you see how like diabetics are getting their foot amputated, they're having foot ulcers, they have all these heart issues. You would think that we would consume less processed foods like carbs, sugar. We're doing the exact opposite. We love these finger foods. We have busy lives and it gives us a nice little rush of energy, of dopamine release. We feel satisfied and that's how we cope with stress. And it's not the solution, guys. It's It's like a contradiction. Like if you're an overweight nurse and you're telling your patient to, you got to eat better, you got to eat less sodium, you got to stop eating McDonald's. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I'm the patient, but you're doing the same thing I'm doing. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like you're not going by what you're saying. And it's once you like look what nurses say about the weight gain, this is some of the responses. We spend so much time taking care of others that we don't leave enough energy for ourselves. That's a good point. Hmm. I'm working 12-hour shifts, eating late at weird times, and you are starved when you get out of work. And then you kind of want to reach for something before bed, especially working night shift, you know. And then working 12-hour shift doesn't allow me to get proper kind of exercise. I'm too tired to get up early, usually before my shift to work, and I'm too tired after my shift to fit in a session. After your shit, huh? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah, those those sound like a lot of excuses. Yeah, and if you kind of dig down where these excuses are stemming from, if you want to just kind of backtrack for nurses. So let's start with like nursing school, right? We have this mentality of eat, nursing school, sleep, repeat. And we get onto this process of trying, you know, you have pressure from your instructors, you have pressure from finishing up your papers, you have maybe side classes that you're taking in order to finish your degree. You're trying to maintain a good GPA when you get out of your program. And how do we cope in nursing school? We kind of talked about last episode, we had a beer in the shower every night. What about the food that we ate? Right. Um, and if just the whole time crunch and you got to study, you got to, you know, go to clinical, you got to do your care plans, you know, you got to go to class. That's waste. Or not a lot, it doesn't waste a lot of time. It consumes a lot of time. 
And we're doing that literally for four years. Yeah, and it's self-neglect. Yeah, and like the freshman 15, you know, you gain 15 pounds as a freshman, and that hits a lot of us. But that, but for nurses or nursing students, I feel like that 15 pounds stays on for the four years. We call it a bachelor 15. Yeah, and dude, that's a heavy 15. Hefty, de- hefty, defty. Hefty, defty. <laughs> and like a lot of nursing students think like, you know what, okay, I'm going to prioritize my health when I get out of nursing school. It's going to be okay. I'm going to get a job. I'm not going to have to worry about these papers. We're all good. Right, I'm going to go to work. I'm going to go to the gym. Yeah. I'm going to make some money. So, and you think those four years of nursing school, those grueling years, you're going to be done. But you know what? Reality. Job piles up. There's new challenges, new tasks, new stress. You're dealing with lives now. What's going to happen with that freshman or bachelor 15? To enter into an elderly 40 pounds, you know? Mm-hmm. Especially because you've been doing this for four years and you're so used to do, doing this. You're so used to not really taking care of yourself. You're so used to just going out, ordering food, and then going home to study your you're very stagnant as a nursing student, especially if you don't have the time to work out or if you have a job, then you're very stagnant and you're in, you're in like, so zoned in school and just to get stuff done, you neglect your body, like you said. And let's talk about the, what you're eating in class, right? Like you're, you're nibbling little things like nuts, you got little snacks, granola bars, you got all these carby foods that have really poor nutritional value and over time, like it accumulates reality yeah and you have like those uh, class parties every once in a while or the teacher's gonna bring in some food and what is that food usually what is that food usually it's donuts or something sweet bagels very carb rich and then you just eat that and you consume it and you're eating it in school and you're eating it outside school and it tastes good and it feels good and then you go into like this dark trap of just eating processed and just high sugar and low and high carb foods yeah and what nurses say or let's just see what nurses have to deal with maybe those that are in school that are getting into the field this is reality one of them is time there's never enough time especially without like proper um union labors you like you don't have a relief nurse to take time to enjoy your meal you're sometimes in the environment stuck eating charting and you're eating mindlessly you're not eating consciously and sometimes you know, because you don't have time to eat consciously, sometimes you're just not even realizing what we're eating for, you know, a long time. Mm. Yeah, it's same with the schedule. Like 12 hours, 12 hour shift, that's half your day. And when you get home, you're tired. And like Matt said, you're, you're snacking in the shift and you, that shift turns into 14 hours because you got a chart. And nurses around you, they're probably not eating very healthy either. They're on the same game you are. And, you know, your coworkers kind of rub off on each other. Yeah. That's, that's truth. Yeah. And then when you're, when you're charting, you know, it's hard to eat like a full hearty meal. You rather just grab that bag of chips where you could chart with one hand and eat the chips with the other hand. Yep. You know? Your coworkers are the front line people with you, but they are just as susceptible to eating bad sometimes mm-hmm. because of stress, just like us. So we have to take our own health into our own consideration. And then maybe you'll encourage your worker sometimes, you know. And another thing is that break room. We all know that patients are very thankful and they, you know, bring in snacks, those cookies, those nice little cakes that they do. And what do you know? You're stressed out. You need some finger food. I do it too, man. Sometimes I tell myself, I'm not eating any cookies this shift. Then you cookies look so damn good. Then throughout the shift, you kind of just peek it in there. You're like, damn it. While I'm waiting for blood, I'm going to nibble on this chocolate chip cookie. And you come in there like, you know what? I have a little bit of time. I'm going to have another cookie. Like you're stressed out and consciously you're just feeding yourself this stuff just to feel better right and it's been two cookies and you're just like oh, i already had two you know there's four left i was to have one more and you got the third cookie and it's just how it works you know and that dives into like emotions every shift can be emotional roller coaster you know and stress eating is sometimes the way that we cope we release stress by 
heavy, like this little temporary um, dopamine high. Yeah, it makes us feel good. You know, I've never said, oh, I feel bad because I, I had that cake. Like your body doesn't feel bad because you had that cake. You might feel bad later, but while you're eating that cake, man, that cake is so good. Yeah. But your double chocolate, something like someone's birthday, get some good fancy cake, some good stuff. Mm-hmm. Even you, from like, go, go ahead. Okay. Even from like a business, business perspective, like nobody wants to really hire like an overweight person because they're almost like a liability. Like I don't want to be rude or, or be a dick, but you know, w- when you're a heavier set individual, then you're more prone to back injuries. You're probably taking more days off. You utilize poor lifting techniques. It, and you have, it just negatively usually impacts performance. And it could be, could be something that's holding you back from like a, like a raise or like a promotion. That would be an interesting survey to like um, survey these recruiters and these directors and see if that is a choice that they make. Would they, just because somebody's overweight, do they have a different outlook on a nurse and will they still hire them? That'd be interesting because we all have our own biases as much as we, we want to say, no, we're not biased. You know, I, like I don't see people in color, like, like all that stuff. Like we all have our natural biases that we might not uh, realize right away. But then when you, when you look back at your track record, you're just like, oh man, man maybe... I've been doing things a little unfair. You know, so it's something to like touch base upon or to look into more deeply maybe. Yeah. So let's talk about time then. I feel like anything med surge related in nursing homes, you're always understaffed. You're always having this full-time job that consumes you and it's more stressful than it really should be. Because yeah. you know that you could always find ways to make your job less stressful, but it's never provided by the facility. Yeah, true. And when you're really stressed at work, you're there to, you're mostly going to stay there longer, like the 12-hour shift. It's probably going to turn to a 14-hour shift because you got a chart, and then you probably have a lot to do it. If you have a lot to do it, you're going to be stressed like all shift. And then that stress takes like a mental toll on you too. So when you get home, first of all, you lack time, and then you're tired in the first place. So you don't really want to do anything else. You kind of just want to sit down and just relax and just hang out for a little bit. Yeah. And especially if you have like kids, you're busy running around, so... You know, it's really hard to stay active, and I, I understand that, but you got to at least, like, manage weight properly. Like, if you don't have time to exercise, you got to make, like, a good meal for yourself. Yeah. You got to eat a little healthier. Meal prepping is awesome, and it kind of helps you stay on track of things because you're prepping it for the next, let's just say, three days, and you're aware of what's going in that food and what you're eating. Yeah. Same thing with, like, intermittent fasting. I love it for the fact that I limit myself to when I eat. And if it's past midnight, I'm not going to touch food once or twice a year. Maybe there's those I times. I could get you hit that one time. Yeah. Dude, you don't got to tell people about this. Yeah, I saw you, man. I saw you take it. I saw you come back for more, man. It was good. It was Red Velvet, guys. <laughs> Who could refuse that one? And um, intermittent fasting builds that discipline, which clearly I'm lacking sometimes, but it helps you stay on track. You know, Same thing with counting calories. You don't need to do that. Hop on the scale every two, three days and just see your baseline. Weigh yourself on an empty stomach, empty bladder, and just tell yourself, am I, am, am I trending up or trending down? And that's what I do. I don't count my calories. If I, let's just say, gained a half a pound in the last three days, then you know what? I'm going to cut back a little bit. I'm going to go to sleep hungry because if I'm hungry, I know I'm burning some kind of calories. Yeah. And guys, we're not saying, hey, don't enjoy food. You know, don't snack on, on snacks. Don't eat any, any sweets. We're saying you got to limit it. No, everything in moderation is, is fine. It's completely fine. You could have chips. You could have cake. You could have cookies. Just is, Are you eating that every day? You know, hey, do you have more cookies than, than carrots on your plate? You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, if you're eating, eating four cookies every day and eating a carrot once a month, like, yeah, you're going to be fat. 
you know, just how it works. And we're not realizing like you are what you eat and even absorb. And if you break down like food and like micronutrients and vitamins, like your body fiends this stuff and it needs to function properly. Like just like a car, if you keep running low oil and not, you know, properly doing things, it's going to lead to some issues. And that's what we have to do. Yeah, it's an addiction. It's really an addiction. And we could all, we all, and another thing about time and about stress is we see those nurses that are always at work. Yeah. They're always p- picking up shifts. And you ask them, hey, are you supposed to be out today? He's like, yeah, I picked up. It's like, hey, you've been working like five days in a row. And then you ask how old they are, and they're like, yeah, I'm 35, but they look like they're 50. You know, they look like, like they're skeletons, and then they smell like cigarette smoke, and they they always have their Dunkin' coffee and their, and their Dunkin' you know, munchkin box, and they just live an unhealthy life, and they, they're always at work. That's why. Like, you can't live your life at work. Yeah, that's why, you know, I love the term hustle. It's such a fad, though, nowadays. Like, you need self-care, guys. You need to get your hours of sleep. You need to find time for yourself. And that's another thing, man. I don't know if we're going to touch about it later, but, like, stress from nursing school, like, mm-hmm. the debts, like, that happens, too, that makes you kind of be that lifer, right? Because you're paying off, you know, your debts and all that. Yeah, it's kind of like like a trap because if you weren't really sure about your major or you took a little bit longer in school or you just didn't have the money, you know, to pay off school right away, you come out with like $50,000 in loans or, or more or 20000 and then you want to pay off those loans as soon as possible and then you're kind of stuck because you want to enjoy your life in your 20s or your 30s, but you also got to go to work because you got to pay off those loans because you don't want that interest to add up. And that's the stuck. matrix, ladies and gentlemen. Man, that's you got to unplug yourself once in a while, you know. And that was an interesting study that, that I found. Um, it um, was a study done on female nurses. And the major causes of obesity and being overweight for nurses is, have, is exercising less than twice a week, rotating a shift more than four times a month, uh, working more than 44 hours a week, high stress, um, high stress load and a, and a stressful work environment and also low social interaction, low social support. Those are like the main factors that the study found that causes um, obesity in nurses. I wonder if women are more susceptible because of their hormones. I have, I have to look into that one. I mean, I've, I've seen some fat guy nurses. True, know. true. I know that I think women are more susceptible to depression though. So I wonder if there's like some neuro, you know, chemical balance that's different between men and women. But yeah, Maybe. And they also bear children. So... And I've, I know a lot of times that after, you know, they get pregnant, it's a lot hard to lose the, um, the baby fat. That God bless you, women. I can't do that. Yeah, man. God, beautiful creatures. <laughs> and also, we're, you know, there's stress, but also there's that link between stress and cortisol, which we touched about even in the mind-body connection with the previous episode, that we're constantly being stressed out, not only physically, which releasing is cortisol, but it's also mentally. And we're having this long-term release of cortisol, which is not going anywhere it's giving hyperactive um, adre- adrenal gland issues, higher glucose, and all those other things that are okay. I'm trying to think here what it does. Well, so how this stress response works is you release adrenaline, and that's a neurotransmitter. So that doesn't stay in your synapses for very long, but, what's, but what it releases is it releases cortisol into your bloodstream. And that cortisol stays in your bloodstream a lot longer than adrenaline stays in your synapses. So you have cortisol running through your body even after the stress response is done. And like Matt said, cortisol you know, increases glucose, um, glu- glucogenesis. So it forms glucose 
because you're under stress, like your body thinks it's running away from a tiger, but it's really not. Yeah. So it thinks that, hey, I need to make glucose because I need to burn some fat, burn energy. But what happens is you're not doing anything. You're just, you're just sitting down. You're not physically moving. And that glucose turns, turns into fat. So it's, it's a very like crazy process. And also cortisol is linked to you craving simple carbs and simple sugars. Because your body, like I said before, your body thinks it needs energy now. So you're more like, likely to grab a donut more likely to grab the bag of chips because it gets processed very easily. So does it temporarily speed up the metabolism? It does not. Does the opposite. It does the exact opposite. Yeah. But yeah, the long term... Because like, like we said before in the episode is that it decreases your gum motility. You know. That, okay, and that makes complete sense. Yeah. And the long term side effects of this cortisol release is that there's health problems that get increased like anxiety, depression, digestive problems, headaches, heart disease, sleeping problems, of course, weight gain, so, yeah, stress is a messed up thing. And it's not only in the hospital. Now you have to worry about financial issues, debt. You're looking at the freaking news. Like, what the hell is, like, Trump doing? What's going on in Iran? Like, you're consuming everything, and it's putting us in a very fear-based mentality. And we're just chronically stressed out yeah. in every single side of our life. Yeah. And to touch back on what you mentioned before about it, if stress and cortisol um, speed up your metabolism, there's a study that I found that was done in 2015, uh, once again, on, on a woman. And this study uh, surveyed a woman 24 hours uh, before, like, they, they did this, they, before basically feeding them and then kind of testing their weight gain over time. And if a woman felt stressed 24 hours prior eating, they basically uh, burned 104 fewer calories. Because as we know, our metabolism is always working, and we're always burning calories even when we're sitting, but obviously not as much as when we're moving. And this is in a 24-hour period, 104 calories. Yes. Wow. So if you were stressed today, you're more than likely are going to burn 104 fewer calories the next day. Yeah. So it takes 30, like 32 days before you gain a pound just from that metabolism slowdown from stress. Yeah. And how much is that over a year? It's like 11 pounds. Damn. You know, freshman 15, you know, extra stress is what happens. Yeah, you know, it's very interesting. It's building on women. So, like you said before, are women more prone to you know getting fat? I mean, this study kind of examines a little bit. Yeah, and there's also lifestyle things and stressors that are affecting us. I touched about like the war and the stuff that we've seen in the news. You know, war for your mind. Yeah, but we can't. There is a war for your mind, but we can't like play victim here about our lifestyle. Like you have to take control of yourself and properly cope. Right, because we're we're realizing that we're coping unconsciously with sugar cravings that are you know um, making us malnourished and are consuming high malnourished calories, which is leading to weight gain. Mm -hmm. So we got to start consuming healthier foods. I mean, in all reality, like it's some simple stuff that we talk about, but yet it's neglected, and sometimes maybe people need a reminder, right? Yeah, definitely reminder. We're not saying, hey, you guys gladiator bodies, or you need to be like. Like a Baywatch's bikini model, you know, how they run through the water. You don't got to look like that. You just got to be at a good BMI. You know, you got to, you can't have a lot of fat on you because it's going to affect, you know, like your future. It's going to make you sick if you're, if you're not already sick. You know? And the question is, how do we stay healthy as nurses or anybody that's chronically stressed out with their lifestyle and job? That's the question that we're going to answer right now. So what's the question? I was on that a little bit. How do we stay healthy as a nurse? Uh, because we can't rely on uh, willpower and motivation. That's like a terrible strategy. Like motivation is very powerful, but it's a wave. And as the waves come, they disappear. And before you know it, 
that wave crashes on the shore, you're lacking motivation, you don't want to go to the gym again, and it's like the cycle. You watch another YouTube video, you get really, really hyped up, right? The motivation comes, and it's a wave, and it's like this domino effect, and it constantly keeps happening, and you, we just got to gain self-awareness and realize that motivation and willpower is not going to get you far. Like You need the mindset for it, be aware psycho- psychologically, right? Mm-hmm. And develop habits. Yeah. And that's like the three keys. If you put them together, you might have a better approach to prevent your job from making you fat in your environment. Right. So you got to understand what's stressing you out and the whole stress cascade. Like you, you understand that, hey, when you're under stress, your body's going to re- release adrenaline and cortisol. And you know you're going to be craving like these salty and, and sweet foods. You know this is going to happen when you're stressed. So you got to be aware of this. And you got to be able to be able to change that. You know that this is going to happen. This is how it works. This is how it works for everybody. It's not any different from Matt or from me. This is like the stress response. And you have it figured out. You know, you know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, it's and it's with evolution. We kept this response because back in the day, we used to run away from, you know, cyber-toothed tigers. And now, as evolution proceeds, we're living in homes and we have different type of stressors, but we're less active, but our body's taking the same toll as if it's freaking running away from something. And chronically, over time, yeah, this is, this is happening. Yeah. This is... Obesity is an American crisis, as we know, it's a pandemic. And nurses are being affected too, and we're just as, we're being the victims to the same thing that we're telling our patients not to do. Yeah, it's crazy to think about that. Back in the day, malnutrition was you being skinny, and that caused you to to die because you're literally dying of hunger. Now people are dying of obesity because they're too fat, because they're eating too much bad food. Yeah, even like I noticed in Oakland, like back in the day, there was probably not like a like a fat homeless person. They mm. usually were pretty damn hungry and they needed food. But how do you have people that lack money are still obese? Yeah. It's an epidemic. It's crazy because mm-hmm. we process these foods and we put fillers in them and, and this is how it's cheap. And, and healthcare debt and spendings are correlated directly with that. And, you know, we're looking at different interventions and things like that. But there's just, if we each individually started taking care of ourselves, started taking care of ourselves and did a different approach by the masses we would definitely change things yeah and even your relationship with food you got to be aware of that as well if work stresses you out and you come home and sit on a couch and, and watch tv and just consume chips you know that's that's not good like you, you've been doing this for a while you know you've been doing this you know that's your already your plan so you gotta just be aware like we can't stress this enough. You got to be aware of, of how you think and how your mind works. Yeah, and I like how you said the relationship with food because it's definitely like a mindset. Like, you have to ask yourself, why is that cake so damn tempting? Is it because you want to have like a reward and pleasure out of that? That's what it is. We eat cake, we eat all these sweet foods because we feel this nice release. Like, I deserve, I deserve that cake. Like, we just have to take this approach and say, you know what, this food is bad for me. I have to limit it to whenever, how you know, long you want to, and so stop associating it with good. Like just like there's like that approach to like quit smoking. When you're quitting smoking, every single time you think of cigarettes, you take a rubber band and you pinch yourself, and what happens is you start neuroplasticity, right? You start rewiring those um, neurons and receptors, and you start telling yourself that smoking is bad it's bad for you it's painful instead of associating smoking as like this reward for you yeah that's why aim and fasting is so beneficial because you kind of almost lose that emotional aspect with food because if you're fasting for 16 hours you only have eight hours to eat so you're not really eating as much for for pleasure you're eating more because you need the nutrients and you know that 
those vegetables, you know, or that chicken is going to hold you over a, a lot longer than a bag of chips. And that's proven, too. If you eat, like, a bowl of oatmeal, like, you know that you're going to be able to last. Like, even do an experiment. Eat something more carby in the morning. The next day, eat a couple eggs with, like, a bowl of oatmeal, whatever you want to do, and see yourself when you go hungry. And you'll mm. notice that you'll last longer. Yeah, that's very true. Like, we, me and Matt eat every morning or after our fast because we usually fast till about 4 p.m. Uh, then we smash, like, two eggs, you know, a bowl of oatmeal and maybe some bacon or some mushrooms, onions, and, some like, some kind of a meat. Poultry. Some spinach, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. you know, mix it up and make it nutritional. That's the beauty behind it. Yeah. And the third thing that we have to realize that is influencing, influencing us that's making things bad for you is, like, psychology. Like, we have to kind of re- reverse engineer our thought process. And we have to become self-aware and realize what emotions are triggering before you take that bite. And you have to learn to ask yourself, like, should I be eating this? And we have to be more mindful, right, when it comes to that because we're, we're not conscious in our decision-making. We're just, like, on an autopilot. And we've been doing this for so long and developed this routine that we continually doing it. Yeah. And, like, the whole psychological aspect... Like, I'm sure we could all relate. This has happened many times to me, and I'm sure everybody else where you're at work and you're like, yeah, I'm going to go to the gym tomorrow. I'm going to work out. You know, and then tomorrow comes and you're just like, I don't know, I'll just work out the next day. Yeah. I don't feel like working out today. Like, what does that happen? Why are you so motivated at one point, but then when it comes to it, you don't want to do it anymore? And that's because you've been playing the same excuse over and over again. Hey, I'll go tomorrow. I'll go tomorrow. I'm too busy. I'm too busy. Like, you're not, you're just cheating yourself. Yeah, and if you want to start realizing these habits and maybe it's it takes it's harder for you to become self-aware, start journaling these little things. Like when was the last time you ate something sweet or when I want something sweet, look look inside your dialogue and realize what emotional trigger is causing this because sometimes we're eating because of like unresolved stress and it's not really because we're hungry. We just have to kind of curb that appetite of like that emotional eating that we're doing. Yeah, and track it. If you say you want to go go to the gym tomorrow, just put it in your calendar. Put 7 p.m. gym. And that you'll get a notification. And then if you don't go to the gym, don't delete that. You know, leave it on your calendar. Because you're going to look back in two weeks or three weeks and be like, damn, I was supposed to work out June 24th. It's now July 5th or July 6th, and I still haven't worked out. Yeah. It's like, damn, I've been putting this off for three weeks now. And, what if, the hell? and if that doesn't work, put a little bottle of water on top of your bed and at a specific time it releases on your forehead and you know how water torture works but that oh, yeah. drip method can freaking drive you crazy really quick and get you up yeah or you know what's also helpful is getting a friend to do it with you then you kind of could hold each hold other each other accountable yeah and that helps a lot because there's, there's definitely days where you don't want to go to the gym but your buddy wants to go go to go to the gym and then just because he wants to go to the gym you're just like screw it, i'll just go to the gym you might not work out as hard as as he did or, or whatever but at least you're gonna go there and get the motion in there you know like today, man, I was pumping an iron, and I had a headache, so I was, took a little easy, you know. I still put up more weight than him. Yeah. I'm joking. Whatever yeah. brushes up your ego. Yeah, relax, and get punched after the show. I know. So we have the mindset, and then we have the psychological aspect, and now we have to kind of mold everything together like a triangle, right? So now we have the habit. Triangle, the, huh? Just kind of, you know, using my imagination here. So we have to build easier and healthier relationships with food, and we have to realize triggers. And if you develop a habit... You're going to be preventing those triggers from happening. And habits are literally the building block of our future. Like the daily action that you take now 
and consistently will affect what happens in the next few years, right? Mm-hmm. Just like a nursing school, like you've been neglecting this, you developed the habit of eating bad, and over time they accumulated to that bachelor 15. Mm-hmm. The elderly 40. The elderly 40, and it just keeps happening. And listen to your body, you know, like develop a habit where you're maybe not so stimulated when you're eating if you can. I understand work is different, but just eat mindfully sometimes. Like become very conscious, put your phone away, like feel you eating and consuming the food. And sometimes you'll realize that you'll, you're going to get full faster because you're listening to yourself and not not eating because of that emotional response that's been unresolved, that's, you know, misguiding you to your decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Going to the gym and eating snacks and sugary foods and, and drinks, they both release the beautiful chemical called dopamine that's on our shirts because we're always so happy. They both release dopamine and endorphins and they both make you happy. One is a healthy habit, one is a bad like a bad habit. Yeah. But they both essentially decrease your stress and it also provides an outlet for your stress. The difference is one's healthier than the other and the other one, one's a little bit harder to do compared to the easier one, but you get a greater reward. Instead of a big stomach. Instead of a big stomach, which is making you lazy, fat. Yeah, and abdominal fat's the worst. Abdominal fat's the worst, mm-hmm. especially with these abs that we have. <laughs> Working on it. So I think we kind of summarized the episode very well here. Um, we talked about antidepressants, why they might not be the best thing long term. You should be seeking different ways of coping and different ways to help with your depression. Maybe take some cyclocybins. I'm not... I don't have any experience with them, but maybe, you know, they can make a difference in your life when you microdose. And as, as time goes by, we'll find out if that's a better treatment. Right. Just because you don't think it's a, a good idea or a good choice for people to do and might not benefit you, but if it benefits somebody else, why hold that away from them? Yeah. Everybody has the freedom to choose. Yeah. It makes no sense. If it helps them, if it helps 10%, 5% of the population, just let them do, do their thing. Yeah. And same thing with um, this job that's making you fat. We got to stop playing victim of our job. Our stress is causing me to do this. Get your shit together. Hold yourself accountable. Get to the gym. Make better food choices. Everything is possible. You are the architect of your destiny. And you choose what happens. And then you have to deal with the repercussions of what happens. So if you continually do what you're doing, you know where you're going to end up. You're just kind of, you know not facing reality and it's going to happen and you don't want to live in regret. Nobody does. Like that's like the worst thing to see when you take care of patients, seeing regret and they talk about it. Yep. So make a choice now. Yeah. Right now, guys. All right, guys. Have a great day. Take it easy, guys. Shout from Oakland. Join our Facebook group. Peace out. Deuces.